Want to get the edge with your Premier League betting predictions? Pinnacle have teamed up with InfoGoal to delve deeper into the data for all the Premier League matches each game week. You combine betting market data with InfoGoal's performance data to try and find Pinnacle customers' value in the odds. This is EPL Insights. Welcome to Game Week 3 on EPL Insights with InfoGoal. Gareth Mueller alongside the Wizard of Oz is Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. What's going on, Jake? We're all set for another week. After learning a lot in the Premier League a week ago, how to not handshake another human being. Um, we we <laughs> yeah, also learned... the highlight of the week, wasn't it? We also learned about some crisis management and what not to do if you're Manchester United, as well as some reverse Darwinism as well. So uh, (laughs) have you ever been a part of a really awkward handshake like we saw Tuchel and Conte embrace post-match? Yeah, usually it's usually one of those where someone goes for a fist bump, someone goes for the the, the hand high five and you get that awkward sort of mesh of the two. Um, Never quite been as aggressive in a handshake as, as Thomas Tuchel was, but... Um, yeah, the, I guess we all learn that apparently when you're shaking hands, you've got to look people directly in the eye. No kidding. And maybe not grab the wrist either. The most, <laughs> o- the most awkward handshake high five of all time was Tiger Woods and Stevie Wilson, uh, Stevie Williams, sorry, at the masters. I mean, yeah. there's nothing more awkward than the, uh, you're just not quite sure what the other person's doing. <laughs> it was, <pretty laughs> it was t- nearly an air shot as well, wasn't it? There Tuchel absolutely knew what he was doing. Uh, look, uh, plenty to get into in terms of game week three. We had a very successful game week number two, as we delve into our EPL reform. Reflections from last week as we take a look back. Uh, it was a decent week, wasn't it, for you, Jake, and your overall plays and picks in the Premier League? Yeah, absolutely flying. And um, I'm, I guess just really happy with, with how it went. Uh, seven winners out of 10 tips from across the games. Um, and usually this time of the season is one of the most difficult from a, uh, from a punting perspective, just purely because we don't know what to expect from quite a lot of the teams, given the changes in the summer, potential changes in the dugouts, the new promoted teams. So yeah, it's it, it, the early stages, but I'm very happy with where we are. Obviously, I think the, 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 the bet of, my bet of the week was the draw in the Chelsea Spurs match. So I've got Harry Kane's late header to thank for that one. was slightly fortunate, I would imagine. Um, but yeah, the rest of them, um, under two and a half in Forest West Ham, Leeds plus a quarter on the Asian handicap, um, Arsenal minus one, one and a half on the Asian handicap was one that I was really, really confident on. Um, Crystal Palace with a, a head start at Anfield. Um, and yeah, Brentford against Manchester United. I think I was being a little bit cautious by taking them plus 0.5 on the Asian handicap in hindsight. Um, and yeah, the City winning big as well. We were, we were on them covering a, a big handicap. So yeah, seven winners um, and a healthy profit. I think the direct quote from Jake last week, Brentford, particularly at home, are to be feared. They were a significant underdog, plus 286 uh, for the home win. That match was settled after 35 minutes. I I did end up playing the Chelsea Spurs draw. I wasn't quite brave enough to go the 1-1. That came through at plus 255. I was all over the under Brighton Newcastle, two, two and a half at even odds. And... uh, after my initial hesitation, uh, betting city against Bournemouth, you, you just convinced me it was too good of a play not to make. I ended up siding with city, uh, first half on the handicap of plus a goal and a half. And that came through with, with flying colors at plus plus one fifteen as well. Those are my top three plays of the week. 
and yeah, j- just like you, it was, it was profitable. Um, these are still very early days, but I think we're starting to be able to form an opinion or at least get some proper insights to what these teams are or will not be over the course of this season. Uh, Arsenal's victory was a statement win. They're second in the table, second best in expected goal differential as well. Uh, we'll get into them a little bit later on. You, look, you waxing poetic about Crystal Palace, nothing came easy despite Liverpool going down a man, but that outright draw came through at plus 612 and the outright play, if you made the call at 1-1, it was plus 1,067. But, you know, you're right. These injuries for Liverpool perhaps limiting their effectiveness and Palace are showing themselves to be a very resilient defensive team, very well organized under Patrick Vieira. Absolutely. Yeah. I was quite surprised he went with the back five, to be honest. Um, um, and then even more surprised when I looked at, at halftime and they were winning one nil, even though they'd had barely any chances and Liverpool had peppered their goal. Um, but yeah, they, they're sending off that completely turned the game. I think if Nunes stays on the pitch, uh, Liverpool win maybe by two, three goals. I think they were just creating chances at will. Uh, and that, that made a massive difference. But yeah, Crystal Palace, they, they are a team to watch. Um, I think they could be potential dark horses this season as doing some something pretty special. Um, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they finished seventh and qualified for the Conference League. I think they're that good. I think they've got that much um, quality within that squad. And, you know, we, we saw um, Eze last night, um, we're recording this on a Tuesday, we saw him last night at Anfield. He looked um, untouchable at times when he got the ball on his feet. And they've got another one of those on the bench, Michael Lise, who yeah. is, uh, is the left-footed version and probably slightly better with an end product. So, you know, exciting times to be a Palace fan. And um, yeah, we'll get onto their game at the weekend, but I, I'm very high on them again this weekend. I really like Olise. I think he can be a real player for this team as well. Uh, before we move on, any other takeaways from last weekend? Um, nothing that we've we've not touched on already. I think, yeah, we're, we're, the early season promise of Arsenal is is still going strong. Uh, Manchester United has been a, an absolute disaster, uh, as we sort of touched on what was probably going to be the case at Brentford. Brighton, um, you, you touched on the, the game that f- obviously finished goalless. They were really unfortunate. One of the most unfortunate teams this weekend based on expected goals. They absolutely destroyed Newcastle based on chances created uh, and were really unfortunate not to get a win. So they're, they're definitely ones to keep on side um, as we progress because their performances and their levels continue to be really impressive. Uh, before we get into this week's games, should mention the futures markets. They're still at play on Pinnacle.com. Uh, it's funny to see where things were to where they are today in terms of outright Premier League champion. Back on July 18th, Man City at minus 177. Liverpool plus 227 to go on and win the title. Where we are today, City at minus 290 and Liverpool up to plus 330. Obviously, two wins is going up against two draws we'll, we'll, we'll move the market but also entering interestingly enough spurs remain a slight favorite or a third favorite i should say for the outright title at plus 1202 chelsea despite outplaying spurs for long stretches of that 2-2 draw plus 1285 so those markets are coming into play but i'll still say it Jake, if you thought that Liverpool and you still, you know, you, you thought that Liverpool could be the team that goes on to win the championship, you know, based on what's happened in two games doesn't change the way that I prognosticate and look ahead to the entire season. Unless you think that City are just this team where draws are poor results because they're, they're that good, that much better than everyone else. But true two draws, I think it's been um, exaggerated to a certain degree what this might actually mean for Liverpool's season. Yeah, yes and no. Um, I think in, in the, the levels that 
particularly City have hit over the last five years, suggests that you're going to need about 90-odd points to go close to winning the title. Um, and, you know, drawing at home to Crystal Palace and away at Fulham, they're games that you'd have down as, as banking wins for Liverpool. So huge issue um, that they've actually dropped points. I think it's a massive advantage already that City are four points ahead. I know that Liverpool chased down um, the gap last season. They were maybe 10 points or more behind and managed to close that gap with a fantastic run. But, um, you know, the way in which they're shaping up with the squad, the injuries that they've collected all over the pitch now, you know, we saw uh, Nat Phillips playing at centre-half against Palace because they were so short at the back. Uh, midfield, massive issues. And now you've got Nunes who's suspended and Firmino, is he going to be fit or not for the next game? And, and Jota's out as well. So they're looking a bit thin on the ground and the longer it goes that they don't get the first win, um, then obviously the, the more the odds will drift and, and the less likely it's going to be that Liverpool are going to win the title because they can't just they can't keep affording uh, to drop points. So I guess it's good that they're playing Man United this week. <laughs> Which is a perfect segue into the top four future play back on July 18th. Manchester United plus 140 to finish in the top four. Now on August 16th, they come in at in a price at plus 700. What a massive shift there. And the other shift. Still the short though, isn't it? <laughs> perhaps a little bit because now there's talkers. Are they a mid table or bottom half of the table side? Uh, Arsenal, that, that's the other significant shift as well. Went from plus 150 on July 18. On August 16th, Arsenal minus 150. So there's been a shift the other way in favor of Arsenal. Uh, let's get straight into this week's games. Let's start off with the early match on Saturday. Fourth place Spurs take on 14th place Wolves. Uh, question mark for Spurs heading into this one. Longley, really the only question, the center back. We'll see if he's fit. Jimenez is out. Uh, Moutinho will be questionable this weekend for Wolves. Head-to-head, these two teams have played to games less than two and a half goals in four of their last five. Spurs, however, have scored first and been had the first half winner against Wolves in eight of their last nine games. Last time the these two sides, um, you know, played last season, two away wins. Spurs won away one nil. Wolves away two nil. Wolves haven't won a game in four, but it, are one of the those very competitive teams best on the market prices for a home win for Spurs at minus 265 on pinnacle.com. Or if you like the draw, the best price available on pinnacle plus 440 for a draw in this game. How are you looking at this one, Jake? Um, I'm, I'm obviously I'm still very pro Spurs. Um, you're right. On the eye test, Chelsea were very good and, and probably deserved the win uh, against Tottenham at the weekend. But in terms of creating chances, the game was very even. Um, you only have to look at the XG totals. It was 1.7 to 1.58. That, you know, that, that's a, almost a coin flip game. And, and based on the, the quality of the chances in the match, Infogol can actually calculate that Spurs would avoid defeat 59% of simulations based on the chances. So a draw was not um, out of, you know, it was kind of deserved. And like I said, on the eye test, Chelsea looked like they were the best team, got into better areas more often, but Tottenham created as good a chance as they returned back to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and, and they'll be on a massive high because that last minute equaliser, it feels like a, a victory to go to one of your top four rivals and, and nick a point um, gives you a massive advantage, I think, uh, even though it's early on in this season, just purely because you know that you've been there, you've got a point, they've got to come to you next. Um, and yeah, the way in which they got that point, I think could be huge for um, for Spurs. And, and you saw what it meant to players and, and the con- Conte in particular, who 
yeah, the, the celebrations on the touchline from both managers, I thought were excellent. Absolutely loved it. Um, but yeah, they, they've been excellent at, at home and it's been a bit of a fortress since Conte took charge, really. Only the top two in the league, City and Liverpool, have ranked better based on the underlying metrics in terms of expected points per game, expected goal difference per game, averaging 2.26 expected goals for 0.91 against um, per game in those home matches under Conte. So Wolves should be really scared. Um, I think they should be frightened because from what we've seen so far from Wolves, they are looking more and more like a team that will end up in a relegation battle this season. Um, they, I know they're bringing in players. They brought in Gonzalo Guedes from uh, Valencia, who's a player I really like. Um, and they brought, just, I think the, the deal is nearly complete for a sporting Lisbon midfielder as well. So strengthening um, in depth there. Portuguese players just keeping yeah, the two good players, two very good yeah. players. Uh, Nunes from the, the, the sporting Lisbon central midfield player. He's a very good uh, player in the midfield as well. I just wonder if that could be a preamble to another move, potentially Neves going out the other way. Uh, those are two significant signings for Wolves. But at this point, from what I've seen from them, they're going to need players coming in. Uh, it, you documented it at the end of last season. Wolves were frauds. They, they were just a team that was so far off the pace in terms of XG in any rating. And um, any, by any metric of, of info goal, this team was actually overachieving last season. Have you seen anything different through the first two games for Wolves? Not, not at all. No, it's been very similar. And, um, you know, the, the main issue I have, uh, as and same with a, another team from the Midlands, Aston Villa, is that their attacking process is just not good enough for the quality they've got on the pitch. You know, you look at the front line and you've got the likes of Pedro Neto, Daniel Pedence, Huang, you, you bring in Guedes, and they're just not creating enough chances for these players. Um, and that's ultimately what's holding them back because defensively they, we've, we've seen over the last three, four years in the Premier League that they are generally a very solid unit. Um, they're trying to transition a little bit as well this season, which I think might hinder them more than help them um, from a back three to a back four, trying to be a bit more proactive and a bit, play a bit more on the front foot. But it's not helped in terms of the creation. So against uh, Leeds, they managed just 1.1 expected goals for per game uh, in that match. Uh, and it was the same against Fulham, another team that were expected to be near the bottom, just 1.14 expected goals for. Uh, and they actually got beat on XG against Fulham and probably should have lost the game. Obviously, Mitrovic missed a late penalty in that one. Um, so yeah, massive, massive question marks and concerns around Wolves. And yeah, I was looking at this game uh, in terms of the markets and I think, I think Spurs are, are short enough for me. Okay. You only have to look at recent records, recent history. Uh, Wolves have got a really good record against Spurs um, since they came back to the Premier League. So that's kind of what's putting me off a little bit in terms of back in the home win because we saw them go there Last season, they actually got a deserved win at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium last season um, based on expected goals. They created the better of the chances and just were an absolute nuisance for Spurs. But uh, I think that given the transition of Wolves and, and the way in which they're trying to play now and just generally Spurs at home, they play swashbuckling football. It's, it's direct. It's very quick. They create a lot of chances. I, I was leaning more towards the goal line and going with the overs. So the line's around uh, 2.75. So taking over 2.75 at minus 105 which basically means that if there's three goals exactly, we get half a win. Uh, if there's four or more, which I think is a real possibility, I've got this down as maybe a 3-1 game for, to, to Spurs, um, then we get a full win on that one. So I think we could be in for quite an entertaining uh, first game of the week. I, I side with you on that one as well. Spurs um, are, are without a clean sheet in, in their last six, and they've gone over the two and a half goal total in five of their last seven games, uh, games that they've been playing in. And look, the play on the field is one thing. I look at 
what Antonio Conte and how he approached the end of that game with Tuchel, it was just so unspursy for me. Like Spursy has been this descriptive word where everything finds a way to go pear shaped. It's demeanor. It's weak. I, I just don't see this team being that. I'm not sure how good the, they'll be. I'm a little bit, I remain bullish on caught in my a little bit of an anti-Spurs sentiment here, but there's something different about this group this year. And I don't know how much you can attribute it to Conte or just maybe the maturity and the growth of this group. And the fact that they have match winners in the side and what it comes down to it, I just, I thought they were second best against Chelsea, but Harry Kane just finds a way, right? Like they they have players that um, are able to turn losses into draws and draws into wins. Exactly. Yeah. They they have that quality at the top end of the pitch for sure. And, um, I was I was really surprised with his team selection against Chelsea. I thought that it was the perfect game to introduce Bissouma because uh, as, as much as we like Ben Tenkor, when he's playing alongside Hoiberg, that's a really immobile midfield. And playing against Kante in particular, you need to have a bit of a, you know, you need to play with a bit more physicality and a bit more um, overall sort of just, just speed and, and physicality. And um, I think that Bissouma would have suited that well. Obviously came off the bench and played quite well. Um, and sticking... Sticking rather than twisting on the fullbacks as well, playing um, Ryan Sessegnon instead of Perisic was a bit big surprise, and he obviously uh, was was shredded by Rhys James for the most of the game. So, um, you know, I think that's given Conte exactly what he needed. Really, is is he he's one that doesn't like to change a settled team and um, a, a team that's winning anyway. And obviously, the way in which things ended last last game was suggested he might he might twist this time around and play those new players and. Um, yeah, I've got to say it was really exciting. Just for just for that twenty-minute period where he played a four-two-four formation, yeah. which was very, yeah. very unconte. He just got all the players, all these attacking players on the pitch, and they obviously equalised. He looked really threatening, um, but for some reason Ben Davis didn't get the message. He still thought there was a left wing back outside him. <laughs> for Reese James's goal, there's no one marking him. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm excited about Spurs. I've said this for um, since the, the first podcast now, and I won't be changing my tune anytime soon. And I still think that the public associates Antonio Conte with defensive football. That wasn't the case in his final season at Inter. And it certainly hasn't been the case since he's taken over Spurs as well. So maybe some value to be had there on the totals market. Uh, Jake's over the total of 2.7 goals in that one. Uh, Also on Saturday, 11th place Bournemouth coming off of being absolutely thrashed conceding four against Man City. They talk, take on an Arsenal side who scored four against Leicester City last weekend in a 4-2 win. Arsenal second in the table, expected goal differential 2.7, uh, plus 2.7 over the first two games of the season. Out for Bournemouth, Brooks is a long-term absentee. Fredericks will not play. Solanke and Zamora are questionable, as is Fabio Vieira, the midfielder for Arsenal. Head-to-head when these two sides play, more than two and a half goals have been scored in seven of the last nine games. But they haven't played in the Premier League since Boxing Day of 2019. And it was a 1-1 draw at Bournemouth. Your best price on Pinnacle for this goes with the draw, plus 385 for this game, or an away win for Arsenal at minus 221. Arsenal haven't lost a game in five and have been the first to score in six of seven. They're a team on the ascendancy. They're on the rise. They're the buzz side right now in the Premier League. Are you riding them to the South Coast this weekend, Jake? Um, no, I, I, I think that they are... <laughs> I think they're, they're obviously the more, more like, most likely winners in this game, but at the prices, 
uh, I think there's better value elsewhere. So um, you mentioned the, the last meeting um, at Boxing Day a couple of years ago. That was actually Mikel Arteta's first game in charge of Arsenal. So um, come full circle, little anniversary for him as he goes back down to the South Coast. But yeah, I just looked at this game and um, and thought the exact opposite of what I thought when I looked at Tottenham versus Wolves, which which was under 2.75 goals, uh, which is around minus 108. Um, I think Bournemouth, <coughs> we saw, particularly in the opening game against Aston Villa, they were very cautious defensively, um, limited Villa very well in terms of the chances they conceded. Um, and even against Manchester City, they lost 4-0, but based on expected goals, they were unfortunate to concede four times. So was it 1.68 expected goals that they conceded in that game, which all in all is not a bad, it's not a bad effort at all when you go to the Etihad. I mean, City last season alone averaged 2.3. Um, so they're well, well below that average. And that suggests to me that they are a difficult team to break down um, if Manchester City were reliant on some absolutely wonderful finishes. I mean, De Bruyne's goal was sensational, wasn't it, with the outside of the boot? Um, so yeah, I, I think this is going to be a difficult game for Arsenal. Um, they obviously made, made mincemeat of Leicester last week in terms of just absolutely dominating them. 4-2 scoreline flattered Leicester more than Arsenal. Um, but as I said on the first game week show, <clears throat> away from home was the area that, that Arsenal needed to improve. And they started well with that win against Crystal Palace, uh, but they weren't as dominant or as comfortable as I'd like to see for a team that we are expecting to maybe next season challenge for a title. I'd expect them to win that a bit more handily and a bit more comfortably. Um, but... I think that's just how Arsenal are going to play away from home. I think they're going to be much more controlled and, and decisive rather than sort of all-out attack that we see at the Emirates. So that combined with Bournemouth's defensive approach and, and the fact that they will probably look to sit deep and counter-attack, I just brought the unders into play for me uh, and I was more than happy to take under 2.75. Basically means that we get if there's three goals exactly, we get half a loss. So if it finishes 2-1 or 3-0, we lose half our stake. If there's four or more goals, it's a full loser. Whereas if, if there's 0-1 or two goals, then we get a nice price winner. Um, and I personally have this down as a 2-0 Arsenal win. Um, when it comes to Arsenal, they have the second best or the second highest expected goals for, um, according to InfoGoal, at 4.6. Only Liverpool has a superior expected goals for. Is that more of a product of of, of, of playing Leicester City last game? I, 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 I know Palace, there wasn't a whole lot in that, in, in that win. It was a little bit straightforward, just... Ramsdale conceded a weak goal against Leicester through the legs, but from an attacking perspective, going up against the vulnerable Leicester side, I mean, that's picked, that's carried on from last season. Perhaps that, that number maybe flatters Arsenal to a certain degree. Potentially, yeah, because um, we spoke about this quite a lot already, that Leicester last season were one of the worst defensive teams in the league. And, and the early signs are that that's continued. I mean, they've conceded two against Brentford and four against Arsenal. Um and yeah, I think every team right now, if you're short on confidence in attack, you want to play Leicester. They're one of the teams that you want to play against. And I'm not saying Arsenal were short on confidence, but they did to Leicester what I expect a team um, that wants to finish in the top four to do, which is rack up a load of chances and score a lot of goals. And I, I, I do fear for Leicester when they go to the likes of Anfield or the Etihad. Um, I think it could be similar in terms of actual scoreline and XG scoreline. So yeah, potentially flatters Arsenal a little bit. And in this early stage of the season, the, the expected table, the fact that they're second, um, it doesn't surprise me given the, the schedule that they've, they've, they've had so far. So, um, And the same with Liverpool, obviously, you said that they're top there. They've had Fulham and, and Crystal Palace. You would expect them to create around two expected goals per game, at least uh, across those two, which they have. So, yeah, I, I think that 
game state and and teams a schedule that you're playing against is um, is key when you're looking at these kind of goals bets and I just think that this has got a real potential to be awkward for Arsenal and, and given what we saw from them last season away from home they were so unconvincing um, throughout the whole season then it was nine of 19 away from home which ultimately cost them the top four um, I, I'm not fully ready to trust them um, even if they are playing a newly promoted team that are fancied for relegation to, to actually go there and win so taking a, a lower scoring game was, was, was my preferred angle I love the um, the full circle Arteta going back to Bournemouth for the first time since his first match. Also, Aaron Ramsdale was the Bournemouth goalkeeper that day. Uh, he's going <laughs> back to, to Bournemouth as well. Uh, let, let's move on to the Sunday fixtures. 19th place West Ham. It's been a very difficult start coming off a 1-0 loss at Forest. I mean, the city grounds were bumping, but perhaps justice wasn't served for West Ham on that day. They're taking on a very difficult team, a team that's been impressive here at the gate in 8th place, Brighton. Center back issues for David Moyes. It continues and carries on from last season. Agard, Agbona, Dawson all out. Ben Johnson's been playing center back for the Hammers. Only Jakob Motor, the Polish international, out at present time for Brighton. In head-to-head meetings between these sides, both teams scoring in each and every one of the last seven games they played. West Ham has not a clean sheet in their last 11 against Brighton. Brighton hasn't lost in their last 10 against West them, but they're without a clean sheet in their last seven. Brighton won the final game of the season last year at home at the Amex against West Ham. 3-1 was the final after a 1-1 draw at the London Stadium in the reverse fixture. West Ham are the only side in the Premier League yet to score a goal this season. The best price on Pinnacle, plus 132 for a West Ham victory and plus 252 for a draw between two competitive sides here. Look, Jake, West Ham's vastly more superior than their current standing in the Premier League table. But Brighton have been a tough team here to start the season, picking up where they left off last season as well. How do you see this one playing out? I think this is a really tricky game for West Ham, particularly, as you said there, the defensive issues uh, from a personnel perspective. They're having a massive impact on on this team. Um, Ben Johnson is doing his best, but... You know that ultimately he's not good enough to play centre half uh, in that West Ham team. They've conceded uh, well 2.2 expected goals against Manchester City, which was kind of to be expected round about Manchester City's average. But 2.19 against Forest is uh, alarm bells for me because that that suggests that there's a, a really soft underbelly and a really or the potential that West Ham could become really easy to play against um, and create chances against. So that's a massive concern. Um, the rumours are that they're bringing in reinforcements. I think they've, they've agreed a deal for PSG centre-half Tilo Carrer, who, you know, he's, he's a decent player, um, not had the opportunities he probably sh- should have had at PSG. Um, but an extra body through the door won't hurt. But, you know, even if he comes in, is that problem going to rectify? Uh, or, or is he going to rectify that problem defensively? And I think Brighton are in a really good position to cause some serious issues to a, a very vulnerable West Ham team currently. And, and yeah, I, I was all over Brighton to get something in this game. And it was just about how how you what what kind of angle you take from the from a betting perspective. And I just thought Brighton plus a quarter on the Asian handicap at, at minus one ten was just the you know the standout play really. You mentioned it there. Brighton are unbeaten against West Ham in 
well, for about you know a million years. Um, <laughs> and if, if 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 Brighton draw this game, we get a half win uh, by taking the plus quarter. And if they win the game, we obviously get a full payout. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm confident Brighton will get something there. Uh, they they've just looked so good at the start of this season. They they really were impressive against Man United. And then as I said in uh, in the intro, they absolutely dominant against Newcastle. The XG totals were 1.97 to 0.18. It was just an absolute schooling and they, the only thing missing was someone taking a chance and uh, the same old story for them at home. As I said last seat, last week, that's one of the, the hesitations I had about uh, taking Brighton on the um, on the money line straight up, straight up Brighton to win just purely because they they seem to always create better chances than opponents but don't seem to be able to convert at the same rate. Um Away from home, it's been completely different though because only the top four uh, from last season picked up more points away from home than Brighton did. Um, and, you know, only those four teams posted better underlying numbers when travelling as well. So away from home, they've been as good as, the, as they've been at home, but they've actually converted the performances into points. Um, and I expect to see them do that exa- exactly the same again this week. The, the only thing that makes me nervous is what you said. They just lack that true out and out finisher. looks like Neil Mope is moving on. He was never the solution. So who is that player in the team that can reward Brighton for the chances that they create? That's my concern. Like, look, it, it was a very good, very watchable nil, 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 uh, goalless game against Newcastle last week. I have no problem with that, but this was a story about Brighton last year, wasn't it? Still their XG was decent. They were a competitive side, but who is there to regularly play? put the ball in the back of the net and reward their work. That's why away from home, I'm a little bit nervous of making a play with Brighton. I, I, I kind of look more to the, to the, to the total here. I think there's goals to be had in this game and at Brighton get one, I, you know, West Ham in my mind, a team that still looks very good for an attacking perspective. I, I, I know that the new Italian strikers, Skamaka hasn't hit the ground running, but with Bowen, Antonio, Benrama, Lanzini, like there's a lot there in terms of their attacking prowess. And for me, they simply weren't rewarded for the work that, that, that they put in against Nottingham Forest. Something else they're very good at. Both teams are very good at set pieces. In, in this game as well. West Ham are always regularly all over and Grand Potter's side are extremely well organized on set pieces as well. I wonder if that can factor into play in this match as, as well. Yeah, possibly. Um, I, my issue with that is that West Ham's biggest set piece threat, Craig Dawson, isn't playing. Um, yeah, he he's the guy that seems to be a magnet for the ball whenever it goes in the area. So I definitely would be siding with Brighton in, in the set piece battle. Some big boys in that team and, uh, and great set pieces. You know, we saw... Um, the likes of Solly March can whip a great ball. And I know what you're saying about having no focal point at Brighton and no one to sort of really be the man who can take 20 goals a season. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd argue that as the same at Manchester City last season, they shared the goals around and managed to win quite um, win the title quite comfortably, even without that. So if that's what Potter's after, if he's after a, a sort of everyone chipping in kind of um kind of team which you know ultimately is more sustainable rather than heavily reliant on one single person to score the goals then that that you know that that would make sense but i agree i, I agree with you i think that they've got the money now they've, they've obviously sold Basuma and Kukurea. it's time for them to go out and, and sort of do what they do in terms of the smart scouting and looking for the value in the market and um and bring in a striker that's going to improve them beyond anil morpe because i think morpe was great he was he was really great for that that team and that system. Um, a bit greedy at times for my liking, but I think that they could do better and improve on him, and and that will make them a really dangerous team. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I think we're looking at things a little bit different here. I just think that West Ham is 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 too good to drop this game, especially coming at home. 
be a little bit of desperation. I think they're better than what they've shown. Uh, but this is going to be a very competitive game. Um, I, I think I'd stick to the over the goal total of two and a half in this one. Uh, later on on Sunday, another really good game as Manchester City take their championship credentials to St. James's Park. Newcastle, fifth place in the table, are going to provide a real test for Man City, or at least their biggest and most significant test thus far. Out for Newcastle, John Joe Shelby, he's out long term. Kraft, Target, Fraser all question, questionable for City. Laporte remains out. Phillips and Palmer likely will be good to go, but we'll see come match day. Head to head when these two sides meet over the two and a half goal total, eight of the last uh, 10 times. Newcastle without a clean sheet in the last 14 games against Manchester City with Man City winning six in a row. No losses in their last seven. First to score against Newcastle in 9 of 10 in the first half winner in 5 of 6. City, in fact, scored two or more goals against Newcastle in the last seven times that they played one another. Get this, 5-0, a 4-0, a 4-3, 2-0, 5-0, and 2-0 victories along the way. Pinnacles providing the best price for a home win at plus 811 for Newcastle. If you like the upset, the draw best price as well on the market at plus 421. Newcastle has been a very good start to the season, but are they going up a level in terms of quality and class in their opponent in this one, Jake? Yeah, just a bit. This is a big step up. Um, you know, Nottingham Forest on the opening day, while they're in a bit of disarray in terms of the the players that are bringing in, that's a, a nice, easy warm up. And then, you know, as we've already spoken about, they were really fortunate to come away from Brighton with a point. Um, they should have lost that game. And then a similar performance here would see them probably lose three, four, five nil, um, given what we've seen from City so far. I I'm not harboring any hopes of a, of an upset in this one. Um, I know that Newcastle. They've got a really, really good record at home under Eddie Howe. He's ever seen 15 games at St. James's Park since his appointment. They've won nine of those and lost just two. But the key there is they've lost two. And those two defeats have come against the best teams in the league, Liverpool and Manchester City. Um, so basically against everyone else, they're a match against Liverpool and Manchester City. They are miles off it. Um, and you know you only have to look at the combined XG from those games against Liverpool and City. 0.49 expected goals for across two matches against the best two teams and allowed 5.45 expected goals against across two matches. So they basically were thoroughly outplayed by those teams um, every time they, they bought, but both times that they hosted last season. Obviously, they're in a better position now on Newcastle, but you could argue that City are as well. Um, they are cruising at the moment. They've come out the stalls um, very, very quickly, and they've got into a, a very a nice early paced gallop just just to start of uh, pulling each other, pulling away. I think you could say uh, if they carry on the way they, they are doing, then um, yeah, the title could be over, but before the World Cup break. Um, as I said at the start of the uh, start of the season in the opening game week podcast, defense is City's best form of attack. Um, that is the big difference between them and the title rivals. Ultimately, they are the best defensive team in the league. They last season allowed 0.78 expected goals against per game. So far this season, they've allowed 0.58 and 0.17 in their opening two matches. So they are conceding literally next to no chances. In which case. Your, opp your opposition aren't going to score any goals. Um, and I fully expect that to be the case here. So I was looking for, um, as, as we said last week, when, when there's such a heavy favourite, it's really difficult to find value. But I just thought both teams to score no at minus 104 looks an absolute standout price uh, and a standout bet. Newcastle will be more competitive than um, than Bournemouth, but not much more competitive than West Ham. Uh, and I, I think it could be an, a, a very easy afternoon for City. 
two nil. Just to t- don't t- don't come out of second gear. They, they've not needed to so far. And I don't think they will have to in this game either. Yeah, I I honestly don't have too much to add. Um, I was going to just make it a pass, but I think you can, can you can convince me that both teams to score no might be the best way to go. You, you look at the handicap at one point two five. I don't love it. I can see City cruising, just holding on to that one goal lead, perhaps picking up a second goal late. I, I think that the emotion at the crowd, the Newcastle players and, and supporters will, will be well aware of the recent history against Man City and how dismal it's been. Um, I'm not sure how much that will weigh in. So I'm inclined to kind of go the same way that you're going in this one. I don't really have too much to add, to be honest with you. Perfect. Agreed. <laughs> Let's move on to, to the next game. It's Monday night football. And oh boy, there's all kinds of intrigue about this. This is a media person's absolute Disneyland right here. Because <laughs> no matter what happens, it's going to create headlines from Old Trafford. It's 20th place, 20th place, bottom of the table, Manchester United, turmoil. It's been another tumultuous week in United circles. They take on their rival. In Liverpool, coming off back-to-back draws, Darwin Nunez suspended for this one and the the most injuries of any team in the Premier League heading into this one. Out for Liverpool, the aforementioned Nunez suspended. Thiago, Jones, the Ox, Cunate, Matip, Firmino. Jota is questionable and is more likely to be out for this game as well. Questionable, he's back training for Manchester United is Anthony Martial. Head-to-head, these two sides have gone over two and a half goals in the last five times they played. Liverpool has scored two or more in their last four games against Manchester United, including going 9-0 on aggregate last season. A 4-0 win and a 5-0 win away at Old Trafford. United is without a clean sheet in seven games. Some will say without a hope as well. Liverpool (laughs) without a clean sheet in five. First to concede in four of their last five. And they've actually gone on to lose the first half in four of their last five games. Pinnacle's offering the best price for an away win for Liverpool at minus 175. So which side of the equation do you favor? The, The dysfunctional Manchester United or the depleted Liverpool heading into this one? Yeah, I think that Liverpool could have me up front and I'd still be back in Liverpool to win. Um, I think <laughs> I, I think that there's a massive gulf between these two teams, even if it is Liverpool's B team. Um, I say B team, they're still quality players, aren't they? I, yeah, it, this this has the... I think if Nunes was, was obviously available, um, I think this could be another 5-0. With him out of there, I think I'd probably reduce that to maybe 3-0. Um, they're just, you know, the two sides of the coin. So Manchester United, they've been humiliated in the opening few games. They've been bullied by Brighton and Brentford. They look like one of the easiest teams to play against. Defensively, they are all over the place. They're conceding chance after chance. 3.5 expected goals against over two matches. So it's an average of, what, 1.75 per game. If they continue at that same rate, Liverpool will have a field day with this Manchester United defence. Because for all the sort of negativity around Liverpool, the fact that they've drawn their opening two matches. They've created 2.39 expected goals and 2.36 expected goals in their first two matches. So they are still creating a hat load of chances. Um, And, you know, 
in both the matches based on the chances created in, in by them and their opponents. Liverpool would have won the match against Fulham 62% of simulations and 55% of chance against Crystal Palace. So basically they've been very unfortunate in both matches not to come away with three points. So even more impressive, the fact that they put up those kind of performances while missing key players. I don't see anything other than a Liverpool win. Uh, I, I the way in which Manchester United are attacking at the moment is really tame. Even if Nat Phillips plays again at centre half, he might get turned a few times. But you know, I'll come back to it. I've been saying this to a couple of my friends all week. It's the opening two matches of the season for Man United, Brighton and Brentford. They couldn't have been the most, or they they were the probably the two most difficult fixtures that United will face in this first half of the season, purely because Ten Hag wants to play an expansive style of football and Brighton and Brentford are two of the most organised pressing teams in the league. Who's another organised pressing team? Liverpool. <laughs> but they've got a hell, of a, more, a hell of a lot more quality in and around the forward areas than those two teams have. So if the trends continue and United continue to try and play out from the back and playing People like De Gea, whose distribution's terrible. Ericsson at deep line mid, who really struggling for um, uh, for confidence. If they continue to play the likes of Fred and Fernandez, and particularly Fernandez, who just you know throws his arms up and uh, and moans all the time, I think Pinnacle should probably set up a market for over or under arm throws on Fernandez and set it at fifteen point five. I'd definitely take the over in that one. Um, then Liverpool will just absolutely carve them apart and. Yeah, Nunes is out. That's a problem. Firmino, Klopp was saying yesterday that he thinks he might be fit for this. Even if he's not, I would love to see Fabio Carvalho in the team because he came on against Fulham and looked really lively. Come on against in the community shield looked really lively. I think having him playing out wide left, you could drop Salah into the middle uh, and he, all of a sudden that front three still looks dangerous. Um, yeah, I still think that Liverpool will win this comfortably. So the, the odds on... Um, I was pleasantly surprised to see that we can get Liverpool minus one on the Asian handicap uh, near evens. So looking at minus 102. Basically, that means that if Liverpool win by one goal, we get our money back. If they win by two or more, we get a winner. Uh, and I can't see them... A, not winning this game, so in which case we should get his money back at the very least. Uh, and B, I think they'll cover the handicap quite comfortably. Okay. Uh, a lot to get into here. A lot to respond to. Liverpool's missing too many players. For me to back at all, even considering how poor United's been through their first two games. Look, like the goal that the first goal that De Gea conceded against Brentford that won't happen again. You can't legislate for that. Same goes for the second goal. Just, just a lazy pass in his own 18-yard box. Those goals like that will not happen again. Perhaps set-piece goals, perhaps goals against the run of play. I, I, I absolutely understand that. But the first two goals that kind of set the wheels in motion, that will not happen again. I think message has been delivered. These players, as poorly as they're playing, are not as bad as they've been showing. There has to be some kind of response, doesn't there? Nine days later, the pressure playing at home at Old Trafford, not only against your rival, but your rival who doesn't even resemble itself right now because of players not being available. Nunez being sent off, suspended for uh, for the upcoming game. That was like the, the olive branch being extended to United saying, <laughs> go on, do something. We're going to try to give you any type of advantage possible to dig your way out of this. Now, 
I don't know if United's going to win this game. And it's very difficult to back a team when they're playing this poorly. But I will say this. I think the outside noise makes paints a much more negative picture than what's actually happening on the field. The media loves to cover this team. It accentuates everything, the rumors, the innuendo. I, I, I try to stay away from that as much as possible. I just look at a team that's underachieved thus far in the, in the season, a team that has created some chances, a 3.2 XG so far isn't anywhere near the worst that we've seen it that we've seen in the Premier League through two games. They can create chances and Liverpool's back line is suspect without Kenyatte, without Matt Tip at the back. Van Dyke, I mean, he's been at least partially responsible for two Liverpool goals conceded already. We already understand the weakness at right back. We'll see if Marcus Rashford can come alive in this game. I, I just think that this game might be a little bit more close than some people would suggest. My favorite play in this one is actually United to score a first half goal. I'm going to stay away from the result, but United to score a first half goal. Again, Liverpool, that's been their MO. They've been the first to concede for their last five games. I like United to score a first half goal at plus 154. That, that would be my favorite play for this game. Yeah, I personally haven't got Man United scoring at all. Um, I think, <laughs> you know, you, you, you mentioned about the, the amount of chances they've created in terms of the XG, but a lot of that is down to game state. I mean, Brighton were 2-0 up at half-time. United had to attack and create chances, and, and that's how they racked up the XG. Same for Brentford. Brentford took an early lead, and all of a sudden, United are behind the eight ball, so they have to create chances. Um, if, if those games were played at level for a longer period of time, I don't think we would have seen United threaten too much because they're still working it out. They're still working the system out. The players are massively low on confidence. Um, and, and like I said, I still think that Liverpool team that, that will play on Monday night, you've still got Alisson in the net, who's probably the one of, if not the best goalkeeper in the world. Trent Van Dijk, Joe Gomez should be fit for it. He obviously played a, a bit against Crystal Palace. Robertson, Henderson, Fabinho are fit. Harvey Elliott played well on Monday night. Uh, Cavalio, Salah, Diaz or Firmino uh, as a front three. I still think that is just absolutely streets clear of what Man United have got to offer. Um, and yeah, personally, I'm, I'm all over a Liverpool covering a handicap. I think they'll win it quite comfortably. All right. um, yeah, Man United fans, I, I think it, it's going to be very much the theatre of nightmares on Monday. It, it could very well be. And, and look, th therein is the risk. I make that play with very little confidence whatsoever. And I, I, I take my, you know, I'm a United supporter. I'm taking that out of the equation. I think these players, I think the entire club right now is absolutely appalling. But I'm just looking at this like straight up the way that the games, two, the two matches last year played out, the humiliation that they suffered, the fact that th this isn't pressure. This is prove it to me. We're at a prove it to me point. And we're unsure recording this on Tuesday. If any other players are, you know, are, are coming in by the end of the week, what Eric Ten Hag's status, where his mindset is heading into this one as well. But the club, if they go out and get smashed at home against Liverpool on Monday night, I, I, I you know, you always say, has the club hit rock bottom? I think that that would be just about it. Could, could it get any worse if they go and get smashed by a Liverpool side without, you know, four or five regulars in their team. I just talk about humiliation and there has to be some kind of adjustment as well. Erickson playing a six, it simply doesn't work. I, he won't play there. Luke Shaw. I'd be shocked if he started, he shouldn't start. Varane should be in the starting 11. Ten, Ten Hogg's not a fool. Like you said it on our opening podcast. He's a good manager. We're expecting better things. He's just got to find the right mix. I don't think he's had the, 
proper 11 starting from the get-go in these games. And he's been playing from a deficit. Now it's time to get things right with nine days to prepare for your biggest rival coming in depleted. I just, I, I can't back Liverpool at the numbers that I'm seeing right now. That's why United to score in the first half. That's my, that's my best play for this game. Yeah, no, I, I understand. And, and you'd hope and you think it can't get any worse for United, but from what we've seen so far, it is only going to get worse because he is, you know, the, the, he is basically, he's playing with the definition of insanity, which is doing the same thing over and again and you're trying to expect different results. I mean, how many more games are you going to play Lissandro Martinez at centre-half before you realise he cannot play there in, See, this, in this league? I don't buy that. For I don't me, buy that narrative. He should be playing centre defensive midfield. He's got the ball playing technique to be able to pick the ball up from the goalkeeper as they like and to sort of pin the base of the midfield. He should be stepping in there, in my opinion, or you play as a back three. Because I just I don't I didn't understand the signing in terms of like he's a great footballer, but when you've got Liverpool signing Nunes who's six three, City signing Haaland who's six three, you've got Mitrovic in the league, Kiefer Moore starting every week in the league. Like these are big guys. He can't mark them. Like even from set pieces, it puts a massive disadvantage to Manchester United. Um and like I say, I'm a fan of him as him as a player, but the way in which teams are targeting him, surely you've got to pull him out of this at some point and, and play him and try and at least save his confidence. See, but he hasn't played a Mitrovic. He hasn't he hasn't played a key for more yet. Ivan Tony's and, the same kind of mold, and he had a field day last week. Yeah, but that's not why they lost 4 0. I, I mean, the, the goal in the far post, Tony won the, the corner kick when Christian Eriks, it was mad marking him. Both Martinez and Ben Mee were losing their balance and were falling over. That had nothing to do with height, that had more to do with the awkwardness of Manchester United not winning the first ball and that second ball being available on the far post. I understand how it could be a problem at some point. But Martinez also statistically won the most aerial challenges in terms of percentage and number in top European leagues over the course of last season. I understand that Holland's not England. I, 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 I get it. But this is nowhere near the biggest issue of concern for this United side. The fullback positions, the central midfield, the lack of production from wide areas. These are all much more pressing concerns for United than Lissandro Martinez at center back for me. I'd, yeah. I'd even, so, I'd so even I say the, the lack question... of pace of Harry Maguire is probably a little bit more of an issue <laughs> and not playing Rafa Varane, who's one of the top center backs in the world in a starting role. Uh, these yeah. are all bigger concerns for me. I guess the question there is that if you know we I agree I think midfield's a massive concern I don't know why they've not strengthened it but why spend 50 million on another another, another center half when you've got Varane and Lindelof and I don't think Lindelof's been put too done too left-footed, much wrong left-footed player um, he wants a left-sided left-footed left-sided center back for some reason United didn't have one before which seems um, absolutely crazy uh, I I mean Liverpool don't play with a left-sided center half do they uh, Van Dijk's not bad he plays left center half but I, you know, I, I, I accept that it opens the play up a lot more if you have someone on the left side who's left-footed because they can obviously they're not awkwardly trying to play it with the right foot. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that I think the sooner that he pushes him into holding midfield, I think we'll start see the best of him and Manchester United unless they go out and sign a good holding midfielder. Which I'm just reading now uh, as we're recording, they're actually they've announced their interest in Moses Caicedo, the Brighton holding midfielder, who you know had a really good game against Man United. So that's I mean, if that's no motivation for anybody in the lower uh, in a lesser team, just have a good game and you might get signed. And they uh, they were linked to Casado at four point five million coming out of Ecuador a few years back. And guess what? Now they're paying a premium 
It's insane the way the club's being run and there's no justifying it. And that's part and parcel of where, why the club is where yeah. they're at right now. I think we I could do a separate this. podcast, couldn't we, on Man United? Yeah, sure. I think that people have. I think they continue to. It's, <laughs> it's content gold each and every day. So dissenting views on that one. I love it. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, let's go through rapid fire style uh, for the rest of the games on the weekend. Uh, buried in these next five games is actually my top play of the weekend. Ooh. A little bit of a tease for that. I'm not sure what your top play is. Perhaps you'll reveal that in due course as well. Let's start off with Crystal Palace and Aston Villa. Pinnacle providing the best price on market for a home win for Palace at plus 156 and a draw at plus 234. What do you like here? Uh, I like Crystal Palace. Um, I think that they. They're in a very good spot to get off the mark from a winning perspective here. They played well against Liverpool. Uh, as we said, the 10 men kind of helped towards the end of the game in terms of Liverpool got a bit tired and the defending was very easy in a block. Um, but yeah, they, they've they've had a tough start. Arsenal and Liverpool straight out the gate is a difficult uh, opening couple of fixtures and, and they'll have marked this down as the first game that they probably would expect to win. Home process, as I've said um, before, uh, at just sensational at Selhurst. Sixth best team in the league based on expected goals uh, and expected points and Villa, they got off the mark in Everton. They were very nervy, but any team that allows over two expected goals against Everton has major question marks in my uh, in my book. Just purely because Everton are one of the worst attacking teams in the league. So the fact that they they you know allowed Everton to create such uh, good chances is a massive concern. So yeah, Crystal Palace, you can take them on the money line, but I thought a safer play uh, just because I've not seen enough from them in attacks just yet. I think they're still working on uh, getting everybody in, into the flow of things. You've got Eze, you've got Elise, you've got Edouard, like you're trying to pick your best attacking players. I thought the uh, Palace plus naught on the Asian handicap at minus 119, um, which is basically money back if the game ends in a draw. I thought that was the, the, the really sensible play. All right. Uh, Everton and Forest from Goodison Park. Everton coming off that loss at Villa 2-1 was the final. Forest back in the city grounds. What an atmosphere. Buoyed by the home support, ending up beating West Ham. 1-0 was the final. Uh, what do you like here as Pinnacle's best play on the market is for the draw at plus 264? Yeah, I, I, I quite like the draw. Um, and, and I tend when you sort of idea is the draw, you tend to think low scoring game, uh, and that's that's my play. It's under two and a half goals, uh, which is around minus one seventeen at the time of recording. Just same as what I said uh, in Everton's first time game against Chelsea. Rinse and repeat, really. The the home process is is. It's okay, but it's very much a chance limitation and at both ends of the pitch. They don't create a lot of good chances. They don't concede a lot of good chances. 1.1 expected goals for per game at home under Lampard. 1.1 expected goals against per game. So I also think that there's potential that this could be even more cagey purely because they could see these each other as relegation rivals. And uh, you wouldn't want to lose one of these games early doors. And... Yeah, I was just leaning towards the unders. I think Forest, a very well-organized defensive team, particularly away from home. I think we'll see them open up a little bit at home, but away from home, I think they'll keep things tight. This is my top play. Minus 103. Give me Everton with the home win. Uh, Goodison Ooh. Park, a difficult enough place to go to. I thought they were competitive in their opening match. Um, I was really impressed by Amadou Anana when he came on the field. I think he could be a real force in the midfield. They get a couple players back. We'll, we'll see about... 
Gomez and and uh, and Allen in the midfield. I think they could bolster there a little bit more ahead of this one. But I just I just think like Forrest overachieved. They punched above their weight. You understood what that home win the first time back at the city ground since the 1990s, what that meant for that team. It's very difficult to kind of ride that high into the next game. I'm just not sure if they're deep enough or good enough with more players coming in seemingly by the day. I think this sets up well for Everton to go on and, and win their first game of the season. I understand their limitations in attack, but a 1-0, 2-0 wouldn't surprise me in this one. Interesting. Yeah, I, I've, I think I probably would swing the other way and, and, and try and back Forrester in the in the handicap market of the two. Um, I think the Forest will, will, will go there and avoid defeat. I, I was impressed with them at the weekend and I think they'll only get better with the new sign. I think Froyle is a really good buy from Atalanta. Uh, Emmanuel Dennis gives them another great option uh, in forward areas. So, yeah, I... I I've still not seen anything from Everton yet. Um, I agree with you. I think Anana looked really, really sharp when he came on. He looked very lively. Could be a handful. Um, but I think Forrest will be really well organised and, and I just can't see Everton carving out the chances. And, and if they do carve them out, who's going to take them? There's still Solomon Rondon up front. Go on, Toffees. Don't let me down this week. Anthony <laughs> Gordon. He's not going to move anywhere. He's going to stay with Everton. He's going to be productive up top. And I like Everton to go on and win this game. Uh, from Craven Cottage, Fulham returns home where they came away with a draw against Liverpool. They go on and take Brentford on, coming off that 4 0 win over uh, Manchester United last time out. Best uh, play price in market on Pinnacle, plus 153 for a home win for Fulham. The draw at plus 251. I kind of edge towards the draw here. Two competitive teams that have played very well out of the gate. I'm not sure about you, Jake. Yeah, I'm leaning Brentford. I think they should be favourites in this game. I think the um, from what I've seen from Fulham, they've looked okay so far. Uh, but you know, we've we've got a a lot more data and a lot more. Um, uh, well, we've seen the Brentford a lot more over the last year or so. That I trust them more. I think they should be favourites. They've they were top half team based on expected goals last season and so far this season they've gone to Leicester got a deserved point uh, based on the underlying data and, and they've hammered Man United which I think stands as, as a better form than Fulham hanging on for a draw against Liverpool and um, arguably should have beaten Wolves defensively I think is where Brentford for me will get a result here because they've allowed just 1.7 expected goals against per game uh, in those two matches I, I just think that the price is wrong and, and I'm happy to lean towards Brentford uh, again, slightly more cautious approach than taking them to win the game, uh, take them with a plus a quarter head start on the handicap. So if, if the game ends in a draw, we get half a win um, and that's at minus one, two, nine. So yeah, I just keep hitting the same, the same, uh, <laughs> the same bandwagon, the Brighton, the Brentfords. Uh, they seem to be underestimated by the market every week. Yeah. Uh, two local clubs, Close in vicinity. I, I, Mitrovic missed a penalty against Wolves last time out. Uh, I'm very impressed with the start of the season under Marco Silva for Fulham. And Brent, I'm, I'm big on the letdown games. There's no way they're a 4-0 team that's better than United. I just look for the, a little bit of a setback, a little bit of a drop back down to earth uh, this weekend at Craven Cottage. Leicester, Southampton, Leicester City. Oh, man, it's not looking good for Brendan Rodgers and his side out of the gate. And what other players could end up moving on from the Foxes as well? With Jamie Vardy being linked to United, I, I'm not sure if there's anything in it. James Madison everywhere, but there uh, they take on Southampton, who did well in fairness to come back from two nil down at home against Leeds to come away with a two two draw. Best price in market on Pinnacle plus three eleven for the draw. What are you looking at here? A lot of pressure at the King Power this weekend. 
A lot of pressure, yeah. And um, I, I just think goals is the angle again. Leicester involved, Southampton involved, two very goal-laden teams. Um, as we've already discussed, Leicester, 3.1 expected goals against uh, versus Arsenal, which was just a shocking defensive display. But it's it's happened so many times, hasn't it, over the last couple of um, a few months of last season as well, just conceding goals left and right. Um, and Southampton are also struggling defensively. They've allowed two expected goals against and 1.87 in their opening two matches. Uh, and actually, since the turn of the year, Southampton have played 10 away league matches and allowed a whopping 2.4 expected goals against per game. Um, so I think that we could see goals aplenty. So I was looking at the overs on the uh, on the goal line, which is over three. That's actually my bet of the week. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that's a, a really, really smart bet. Over three goals at plus 109. So it's an even better price than I was expecting. Uh, that means if there's exactly three goals, we get our money back. If there's four or more, we get a winner. Uh, and I could see this being another 2-2 game. I mean, both these teams like to concede more than two goals and have done so far this season. So, um, yeah, I think goals will flow. Well, yeah, 17th and 15th in the table. Uh, expected goals against 4.1 for Le- Leicester City, 3.9 for Southampton. And both teams that love to play on the front foot and do create a lot of chances. I, I made a small fortune on betting Leicester City overs last season, and there's nothing about this game would that would steer me away. This was in contention for my bet of the week. It was number two. So it made the podium. So we're aligned on this one as well. Sweet. Last, certainly not least, Leeds and Chelsea. It's a game coming up on Sunday. Best price on market on Pinnacle plus 364 for the draw. Leeds have looked better than I thought they would be out of the gate this season, although showing some fragility laid on at St. Mary's last week. And Chelsea, I mean, like I said on our opening podcast, I think that the Chelsea demise was greatly exaggerated. I don't care if you think their owner's playing football manager. There's still some very good players in this team, but the goals are coming from defenders. Koulibaly, Reese James last week. Who's going to provide the goals in attack? That's really the only question for me when it comes to Chelsea. Yeah, you'd hope it'd be Havertz, but he left his finishing boots at home, didn't he, for the game against Spurs? I mean, six he yards Timo out. Werner's on his way out the door. So Yeah, the irony being that Timo Werner scored, didn't he, at the yeah. weekend in the Bundesliga. So, take um, long. yeah, a lot of help from the goalkeeper if anyone wants to look up that clip. It's, it's a David De Gea-esque howler. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the game here, I think goals are going to flow again. Both teams to score appealed at minus 119. Um, Leeds have been really strong from an attacking standpoint. You said it there, very vulnerable defensively and very fragile. Chelsea, uh, they on the eye test, as I've said already, they were really good against Tottenham and probably deserved to win. But the ultimately conceded uh, an equal amount of chances, meaning the 2-2 draw was a fair result based on expected goals. But yeah, there's another team. It's similar to the Brighton that they don't have an out-and-out sort of finisher and a striker within the side. Uh, they almost seem to share it around. I think I don't, I, I don't see that as a massive issue personally. I think Sterling will get off the mark at some point soon. He might get to 10-15. Havertz, he will get off the mark if he keeps getting those scoring positions. Um, you know, still got Ziyech to come back into things if he doesn't get transferred away. Pulisic, come off the bench. Um, and, you know, Reese James ultimately plays like a winger, doesn't he, when he's in that system. And, and his his end product is uh, is fantastic. He's not quite up there with Trent Alexander-Arnold's end product, but it's not far away. And, and, you know, from an England perspective, he probably offers more defensively than Trent does. So a, more, a better all-round fullback. Um, but we saw with his crossing ability against Spurs, plus his finish, um, that he's definitely one to watch in, in potential goal-scorer markets. Yeah, both teams to score for me. I think Chelsea will get the win. The, the price is just a little bit short. Um, they, they've won... 
what was it, 40 out of 57 potential points last season away from home. So, um, you know, they, they did save their best for the travels. And yeah, I think that Leeds have shown enough in attack with their pressing ability, with the running between the lines, uh, the ball carrying ability as well, which I think could be crucial, especially if Kante is out injured and, and Jorginho plays in midfield. He's basically like a statue most of the time. Um, that, that could be a real issue uh, for Chelsea and an area that Leeds could look to exploit. I like over the goal total of 2.75. Uh, Chelsea put six past Leeds United last season. Um, th- that's my third top play of the week. All in a rapid fire section. Again, Leeds, I just have some real questions about them defensively. And I think that Chelsea can overrun them in attacking positions and look for, I, I think this could be the game for Sterling to get off his mark and get his season started. Same thing with Havertz. Um, th- I was really impressed by the way they played against a very good Spurs side on the weekend. I think they take that. Th- with them uh, to Ellen Road on the weekend. Anything else that needs to be covered here, Jake? I think we've pretty much touched on it all. Yeah, I think I think we have. Um, I definitely would keep an eye on Brendan Rodgers in the in the sack race, depending on what happens with uh, uh, the game of the weekend against Southampton, and obviously what happens off this field with Fafana being linked with the move, and as you said, Vardy, Tielemans, etc. That could be a, a really Really um, difficult couple of weeks towards the back end of the transfer window for Leicester. Uh, well, you're following and keeping track of everything that's going on in the Premier League. The, the transfer window wide open up for another less than two weeks now. Uh, check out the Premier League predictions articles, weekly La Liga predictions, all at pinnacle.com slash betting resources. There's also insight and breakdown ahead of the big Joshua Usyk heavyweight title belt that's upcoming on Saturday night. Again, at Pinnacle pinnacle.com slash betting resources. You can follow Pinnacle on Twitter at Pinnacle and at Pinnacle Sports on our YouTube channel as well. Weigh in anytime with either the Wizard of Oz or I on Twitter at Gareth Wheeler at Jake Oz O-Z-Z. Good stuff this week. Best of luck except for on Monday Night Football, Jake. <laughs> yeah, enjoy. Uh, I hope that you're not watching it from behind your sofa after 10 minutes, but I can't promise anything. I watch every United game with my hands over my face, through my fingers. So it's yeah, a, not a surprise. It's a, it's a horror show. It's like a it's like a soap opera that you just can't turn away from. So uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the circus around it all, but uh, some better performances would certainly make it a little bit more watchable. That's all for this week. This has been EPL Insights with our good friends at InfoGold. Tell your friends spread the word we are your weekly insights podcast into the Premier League